Very good morning to everyone. Uh, blessed Chinese New Year uh, to everyone as well. Uh, my name is Daniel. If you don't know me, I'm not usually at the 9 a.m. service. Uh, usually, uh, we usually have youths, uh, youth, uh, youth uh, gathering uh, on 9 a.m. So, uh, on behalf of the youth ministry here, uh, if you have any youths that are you are seated here, or you have any youths that you know that are looking for a group where it teaches the Bible, have fun together, come find me. Uh, good. I won't, I won't, yeah, I'm very friendly. You can come and find me. That's good. Uh, we'll look at Matthew's gospel this morning. We'll continue our series. So, but before that, let's pray and ask God to help us understand his word. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, for gathering us as your people. We pray, Lord, that your spirit be now at work as the word is being preached, as you use my mouth as uh, your mouthpiece to preach forth your word. Help us to trust in you and trust in your word. And help us to be thinking of how to apply uh, these words of the text into our lives. So we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, there's a very common saying, uh, which is this, that seeing is believing. And that is one thing that you and I as human beings and even the world can relate to one another. That we won't believe it until we see it. In order for me to consider something to be true, I must see all the evidence and proof before I start believing in it. To illustrate, uh, some of us do not genuinely do not believe in online shopping. Reason being, I must touch the product, I must smell it, I must feel it in my hands in order for me to feel at peace for spending a hundred ringgit on something that I shouldn't be buying anyway. Now, when it comes to matters of religion, and the question of God's existence, for example, many people are like this. Many people must see the proofs and evidence before they can believe in the idea that God created the world. Many people must witness a miracle right in front of their eyes before they can really trust in God. Now, you might be listening to the way I'm speaking and be thinking, is Daniel advocating that religion is anti-evidence, anti-reason or anti-miracles? Am I implying that religion is just a subjective matter of choice? Am I saying that religion is just how I feel and what it makes me, uh, does it make me happy or not? Well, no, that's not at all what I'm saying. You see, Christianity is certainly not a blind faith. It is a reasonable faith. Christianity, brothers and sisters, is built on historical evidence and events that actually happen. It's not fairy tales. They are historical facts. And Christianity provides a lot, the most logical and coherent way to view the world around us. So what am I saying then? You see, what I'm saying is that many people in the world, and even for some of us seated here today, that despite all the miracles, all the evidence, all the arguments, all the signs that point to Christianity being true, you will still not believe in God. Now, why is that so? Because the truth of the matter is this. Christianity is more than just believing in facts, signs, miracles, and truths about the faith. Because the Bible commands and Jesus commands us to surrender the control of our lives unto Him. 
The Bible calls us, Christianity calls us to submit our lives to Him as King and we as His humble servants to acknowledge who Jesus truly is, the one true God, that He is the way, the truth and the life. And that's what I'm saying is that there's a great likelihood that no matter how much evidence and how much miracles and signs that are given to you, most people will be hardened in their hearts to not believe in God. Not because there's not enough evidence, but simply because they are unwilling to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. And that is exactly what we will see in today's passage in Matthew 16. You see, just a quick recap in the whole of our series thus far, we have seen different responses to the kingdom of God, to the message of the gospel. We saw in Matthew 15, uh, Dinesh preached about the Pharisees and their traditions and how they, the Pharisees, rejected Jesus. Right? We saw last week, Andrew brought us through that we saw the miracles, you know, the healing of the demon-possessed woman, the feeding miracles, and how many people have come to believe in Jesus. So we see a rejection, we see a belief response, and today we will see another response of rejection. A response, as we will see later, a response that says, I don't need you, Jesus. I don't want to surrender the control of my life to you. A response of rejection that says, despite all the evidence that is right in front of my eyes so clearly about Jesus, I still refuse to believe in him. So with that, let us look into our passage today or on the screen or the order service in front of you. In verse 1 of Matthew 16, it says, And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. So this is after Jesus fed the 4,000, and a bunch of Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus. Now the first thing that we have to understand is that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they did not like each other. They were of two different thinking, two different ideologies in Judaism at the time. You can think of them as the conservatives and the liberals of their day. Uh, so they had their differences in so many things. So how on earth did two opposing ideas come together? Uh, what is the reason? Well, it's kind of like how different politicians may have come together to fight against a politician that they hate. You see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, their common enemy is Jesus. For the Pharisees, they hated Jesus because it, they, Jesus was against their traditions, against their commands. For the Sadducees, they hated Jesus it's because they thought Jesus was going to bring a political change to the Roman Empire. Point is, both of them hated Jesus. And as the verse say, they came to Jesus to test him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. This echoes back to Matthew's uh, writing in chapter 4 where the devil came to Jesus to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. It's a very similar idea here that the Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus with an agenda. But more than that, they came to Jesus already with a heart of unbelief, a heart that rejects Jesus. You see, there are many people here, I think, that have a genuine desire to want to know God and therefore they ask for God to show 
himself to them through signs, through miracles, and I think that that is a good thing. Yet, there are people, like the Pharisees and Sadducees, that despite all the signs and miracles that have already been shown to them, they still knowingly reject who Jesus is. And this is how Jesus responds to such people in verse 2 and 3. He said to them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. And this is the key part. Jesus says to the Pharisees and Jesus, You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the sign of the times. What Jesus is saying to them is that you have the knowledge to predict what is happening to the weather, the things around you, the things of this earth, but you can't interpret the sign of the times, the things that are above, the things that are spiritual. You see, friends, the sign of the times is not talking about a future event, nor is it talking about the second coming of Jesus. No. The sign of the times is talking about now, the kingdom that is now at hand. So simply put, the sign of the times are signs that point to who Jesus is, are signs that point to Jesus being the Son of God. And just imagine what Jesus is essentially saying, them, saying to these Pharisees and Sadducees is this, that you have all these signs, you have all these miracles that are talking about me being God, yet you still have the guts to ask and demand and tempt me to do a sign for you as if I'm a vending machine or a genie in a bottle and you can ask me and I'll do whatever you want. As if you don't have enough evidence already, you still ask for more. That is what Jesus responded to them. And in verse 4, Jesus shows us the verdict on these people. In verse 4 it says, <clears throat> An evil and adulterous generation seek for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. Friends, you see verse 4 is a very, very relevant verse to the world today, to why so many people do not believe in Jesus. It's a commentary of the state of the world's heart in relation to God. Because you see, in the Bible, in the Old Testament especially, there are many prophecies prophecies of telling someone that someone will come, someone will heal the blind, someone will heal the lame, someone that will come to bring salvation to his people. And all of these prophecies are fulfilled in the Gospels in the New Testament, are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He, the Messiah, the Chosen One, came and did many signs and miracles to fulfill these prophecies, to show the whole world, who he truly is, the Son of God. And on that basis alone, on, on the basis of the New Testament alone, what Jesus has already shown for us should be enough, should be sufficient for all to come and believe in him. Yet, like the Pharisees and Sadducees, many people demand for more signs, although what has already been revealed about Jesus is so clear. That is why they are evil. That is why they are adulterous, because they reject what has already been so clearly shown to them. 
And just as Jesus said in verse, uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, that the only sign that will be given to them is the sign of Jonah. Now, what is the sign of Jonah? A quick recap, as you can see on the screen, Matthew 12, 40 says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days in the heart of the earth. You see, the sign of Jonah refers to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That Jonah's near-death experience is a picture of Jesus' real, actual death experience and Jesus' resurrection from the dead. This sign, this death and resurrection sign, this will be the only sign that will be given to the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, if you think about it, for the Pharisees and Sadducees, this event has not happened yet. It is a sign in the future, an event in the, world, in the future to come, one final sign to show who Jesus really is. Yet for you and I today, it's different, right? The sign of Jonah is something that has already happened because Jesus did die. Jesus was buried and Jesus was raised from the dead according to the scriptures. And friends, this sign of Jonah, this death and resurrection of Jesus is the greatest revelation of who Jesus is. This sign authenticates, stem chops who Jesus says he is. That's the truth. Yet, why? Many people still want other signs. They want other signs besides this sign of Jonah before they can acknowledge who Jesus is. Now listen, there are some of us seated here today, you may have not heard about the sign of Jonah. Maybe you come visited for the Chinese New Year holiday and break. Maybe you have not yourself considered the evidence that the Bible gives about the identity of Jesus, about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Well, good news, our church runs this a couple of times a year. We run Christianity Explored. May I suggest that you come for Christianity Explored. May you invite a friend who has not investigated the evidence of the sign of Jonah. May you invite them to Christianity Explored to explore whether this is true for yourself. Now, there may, there may be some of you who may have heard about this death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but you don't really trust it because you still want more. You want more signs, you want more evidence, you want more miracles to who Jesus is. Well, friends, you are no better, as the passage describes, you are no better than the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Because what is so abundantly clear has already revealed to you that you have heard sermon week in and week out already being preached, this gospel, the evidence for it is so clear, yet it's still not enough for you. You still don't trust in him. You still don't believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If this is you, would you reconsider? I pray, think through it one more time. Consider the sign of Jonah once again for yourself. Study it, investigate it. All you need to do is find out whether the resurrection is true. 
Because friends, in believing in Jesus, in believing this sign of Jonah, you will find meaning and purpose in life. You will find hope and truth and joy that you ever want to find in this life. So may I urge you to do that. And last thing, there are some of you who do believe in the sign of Jonah. You're a Christian, you believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus, yet at times it is still not enough. It is as if you are going to someone who loves you, maybe your spouse, maybe your parents, and you, despite how your spouse loves you and shows you action, a love through their action, you still go up to them and say, hey, not enough. Not enough evidence that you love me. How would your spouse or someone that loves you feel? So may I encourage you that if you are like that and sometimes you just, you want more, sometimes as if God is silent and has not spoken to you in a while, may I remind you that God is never silent. That he, has, that he is speaking to you through his word, that he has continuously revealing himself in the Bible. Now, I grant that God can speak to you in many different ways, through circumstances, through providence, through other people, and so on. I grant that. But remember, the clearest way, the clearest sign of how God is and who God is and what he has done is revealed in the Bible. So remember the sign of Jonah. Remember that Jesus died for your sin. Remember that Jesus took upon the punishment that you and I deserve, took upon the wrath of God that you and I deserve as your substitute so that you and I can be forgiven of our sins. That three days later, he rose again, proving once and for all that he is truly the Son of God. That if you are Christian here today, the good news is that you are united to him in his death and resurrection. Simply put, you don't need any more miracles. You don't need any more signs to prove to you that Jesus is real. Because the greatest blessing that you can ever receive, the greatest prosperity, so to speak, that you can ever receive is the gospel is being united to Jesus in his death and resurrection. Now, would there be doubts in our lives? Surely, there will be. And we will see that in the lives of the disciples in the next, in the next section of the passage. But one more time, the greatest blessing that you can ever receive is what Jesus has done for you. So never, ever forget that. Never forget that. Now, talking about doubts, which we will all have. The disciples had many doubts. They lack understanding at times. They are very blurred. They are very forgetful. It's just like a lot of all of us, even for me here, it's just like a lot of us here this morning. So let's look back into the text in verse 5. Verse 5 tells us that the disciples reached the other side, where Jesus was there as well. And the disciples realized that they had forgotten to bring any bread. You can imagine, oh, I have no food. Remember, there are two feeding miracles, so keep that in the back of your mind. Jesus has fed the 5,000, Jesus has fed the 4,000, and yet the disciples are here saying, I forgot to bring bread. We don't have food. So Jesus took this opportunity. 
in light of what just happened and transpired with the Pharisees and Sadducees, in light of them forgetting to bring bread, Jesus took this opportunity to teach his disciples something about bread. He taught them about leaven. You remember, what's leaven? Look at me in verse 6. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. You see, leaven is basically yeast, a substance to help bread rise. So you can imagine, right, in the mind of the disciples, they are thinking, oh no, my Lord is talking about uh, yeast, my Lord is talking about leaven, and we forgot to bring bread. Is Jesus talking about us? Oh no, what can we do? We forgot to bring bread. That's what happened in verse 7. You see, this shows us that the disciples were not only extremely blurred, they were just very forgetful of everything that has already happened in the past. We see how Jesus addresses his disciples. He says to them in verse 8, he says to his disciples, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? And Jesus proceeds to ask them a bunch of rhetorical questions, just asking them, do you not remember? He helps the disciples recall back to the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. Right? In verse 9, Jesus says to them, Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Jesus is saying, Remember those two miracles you witnessed? In verse 11, Jesus says, How? How is it that you fail to understand despite these miracles? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Now, what is going on here? Allow me to explain. What is Jesus saying to the disciples exactly? On one hand, Jesus is reminding his disciples that, hey, you don't have to worry about your physical food anymore. Jesus is reminding them that, hey, remember in the past how I provided for so many people, how I did a miracle for them, how I provided them in their physical tummy and their food? Why are you worrying now? How are you so forgetful? And that is like a lot of us here today, right? That our eyes are so fixed on our jobs, our careers, our money, our work, our food, that we get so worried to the point that we, live, we forgot that Jesus exists. We forgot, we lose our focus that the reality is that our money, our food comes from Him. And just like the disciples, God, Jesus is reminding us, God is reminding us through His Word today, that friends, He is the provider for all your needs. That in this moment, just to be thinking about the past and how God has provided for your family, how God has provided for your daily needs, for your kids, education for your kids, for yourselves to be able to go to uni, to college, to school, whatever it is, to be thankful of what God has done in the past, to remember how God always provides for your needs. So Jesus is saying to them, why worry? That's one thing Jesus is saying to them. But another thing, may I suggest, another thing more than physical provision, I think Jesus is reminding or rebuking his disciples for one specific reason. That Jesus, by asking all these rhetorical questions, by asking, do you understand? Do you not perceive? Jesus is rebuking his disciples and challenging their understanding of who they think he is, 
of who the disciples think the identity or what the disciples think the identity of Jesus is. Now, I won't elaborate more here because we will see next week exactly this, aha, this eureka moment that the disciples will have that they all finally know who Jesus is. But the main point of today's passage, I would like us to focus in, in verse 11, right? It says there, beware, once again, Jesus repeats what he says in verse 6, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, what is the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Well, thankfully, in verse 12, we are told that the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees is the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So what is that? What is the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees? As I mentioned earlier, these two groups of people, the Pharisees and Sadducees, have two completely different ideologies, two different set of beliefs. So what do they have in common? What is their common thing that they teach that Jesus tells us to beware of it? Well, verse 1 and verse 4 actually tells us the answer. Right? It's the exact same thing that Jesus scolded the Pharisees and Sadducees for. The teaching of them is this. The teaching is a rejection, a teaching to reject who Jesus is, a teaching to reject Jesus' identity, his person, and Jesus' mission, his work. That was the common ground for the Pharisees and Sadducees, and that is what Jesus is warning his disciples back in the day and what warning us here today as well. Because the, the, his disciples were very close to becoming like the Pharisees and Sadducees because in their moment of blurness, in their moment of borderness, so to speak, they forgot of who Jesus is. They forgot the purpose of those miracles. So for us today, seated here today, I have two things that I would like to address and some application for us to think about. The first one, as we read in our X reading, our new episode reading just now, about there are wolves in sheep's clothing. The first application is this, that we have to be careful of false teaching. That we have to be careful of false teachers that do not acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. Right? Most if not all major religions apart from Christianity reject the identity of Jesus being God. They will say that Jesus is a good guy, but they will not say that Jesus is God. Cults that call themselves Christian cults, I would name them Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, World Mission Society of God, that says that Jesus is the second, that their founder of their cult is the second coming of Christ. We need to run away from them. They are false teaching. And even more subtly, especially for us living in the city today, we live in a world that is basically anti-God, anti-religion. Secularism, individualization, saying that my needs are more important, that I don't need God, I have myself, I should trust in myself, I don't need Jesus. Friends, we are surrounded by false teaching by false teachers. So may I urge you, be careful what you read, be mindful of the things you read, be mindful of the things you see online, the YouTube videos, the WhatsApp group, share stuff, be wary of this kind of things before it 
leads you astray before it twists your mind and the teaching of Christ. Beware that we live in a world full of false teaching. So if you are unsure about something, talk to a mature Christian, talk to a pastor of yours. Right? Be wary of false teaching of the world, which is like the false teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So that's number one. The second one and the last thing for all of us seated here today, brothers and sisters, <clears throat> I reckon we ought to be very mindful of our tendency to forget who Jesus is in our lives. Let me say that again. Let us be very mindful of our tendency to be forgetful of who Jesus is in our lives. And we hear these kinds of sermons all the time. Trust in Jesus, never forget in Jesus, always prioritize Jesus. And sometimes a simple sermon like this is just a firm reminder once again to us as Christians of just our blurness, like the disciples, just our forgetfulness to who Jesus is in our lives that we sometimes just live our lives in a way that doesn't accord with his word. We live our lives in a way as though he is not king, but rather I am king. We live our lives obeying our own will rather than submitting to his will. That sometimes we are just so focused on the bread, so to speak, our jobs, our careers, and this kind of things, which are not bad, but we're so focused on them that we forget to fix our eyes on the provider of the bread. Sometimes Jesus is Lord on Sundays, but not Monday to Saturday. We all can relate to that. Even I, as someone who serves in full-time ministry, we as Christians are just so prone to forget the gospel of Jesus. So as a gentle and kind reminder and exhortation for everyone here today, may the disciples' forgetfulness remind all of us of our weakness our tendency to forget who Jesus is. And with that, to conclude today's sermon, allow me to conclude with a lyric of an old hymn. This hymn is called Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Some of you may know it. And particularly the third verse, when I first heard it a while back, I was just moved in my heart by it. Because the lyrics just aptly describes our tendency to be forgetful. Just describes, like the disciples, how forgetful I am to forget who Jesus is. That I even sometimes want signs, miracles. Why, God, are you not speaking without realizing that actually God has already given me the greatest blessing ever. That his son's death and his son's resurrection is the one thing I need. So in our forgetfulness, may these lyrics of this hymn remind us to just ask God to hold tight to us, to ask God to show himself to us, to remind ourselves of the gospel, to cling on to him dearly as we continue to walk the Christian life every day. So you can look at the screen for the lyrics. It says there, as a prayer, Lord God, owe oh, to your grace how great a debtor I am. Daily I'm constrained to be how much is your grace and how deep and wide is your love, Lord. Let your grace, Father, like a feather, like a chain, 
hold my heart, bind my wandering heart, my forgetful heart to thee. And look at these lyrics. They're Lord, prone to wander, prone to forget, Lord. I feel it every day. I'm so prone to leave the God I love. So my prayer, Lord, is that you hears my heart. Tick and seal it and seal it for thy courts above. Seal it until the day that you come back. Seal it until the day I die. Seal it for your glory. Lord, help me in this walk with you. Amen.